questions. She has, she has unanswered things in her life. She has things and brokenness within her that leads her to, 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 to search and ask questions. And all of a sudden, she finds what she's looking for in Jesus Christ. So, we are going to be continuing with our Wild Women of Summer. Uh, it is great to have this series because we are looking at women from the Bible who uh, have honest situations in their life, have, have brokenness as a part of their lives. Women who are not only uh, awesome and great and wonderful, but also women who have brokenness, women who have been put in broken situations, women who are, uh, have struggles, real people <laughs> with real struggles and real brokenness as part of their lives. And so the reason we're doing this is because uh, often it is more meaningful to connect with someone broken than with someone better. And so we are taking the time to examine and to learn from these ladies, these wild women who have honest brokenness as a part of their lives. And so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, a woman at the well. She doesn't have a name. I'm sorry. I wish I could give you a name. She's just known as the woman at the well. And it comes out of John, the book of John. And so if you have a Bible, if you've got a Bible app, you want to whip it out now because uh, it's a long story. I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible or Bible app, to open it to John chapter 4. If you don't, close your eyes, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's long, but it's good. I want you to picture it in your mind. Here it is, John chapter 4, Jesus and the woman at the well, starting at verse 1. Now when Jesus, had le- when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard... Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. Jesus left for Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? You see, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I mean, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks he drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, 
and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people should worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said in reply, I am he, the one who's speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way with him. It's a long story, but it's a good one. And there's a lot in there. This comes again out of John chapter 4. And there's so much in there that this morning we are just going to scrape at it. It's so rich. So what I'm what I going to ask of you is when you go home after the service and you've got time later today, I want you to go ahead and reread this. Take your time. Reread this. It's John chapter 4. You're going to open your Bible. You're going to turn to the book of John. And you're going to turn to chapter 4. And just start reading. John chapter 4. And just start reading. You'll know when you get to the end. It is a wonderful story. It's packed with all good stuff. And, you know, just to be uh, in a very honest way, there's so much stuff to it that I thought we could best uh, kind of analyze it by uh, looking at Jesus and doing a character study of Jesus and then also looking at the woman and learning a couple things from the woman. So that's what we're going to do this morning. But just to get you kind of in the place, uh, I was hoping to multitask and show you this while I was reading, but it's too hard. So I'll show it to you now. These are... Uh, interpretations. These are pictures that people have uh, painted throughout history from different cultures depicting the woman and Jesus interacting. This is an interesting one. You can't even see their faces, but you see the centrality of the well, water. This is a great one. You can see the village in the background. You can see it in the back there, can't you? And this is a snapshot from the Bible series. Some, how many of you saw the Bible series on TV? A handful? A couple of you? Okay. Yeah, this is there. They have an interpretation as well. So we're going to take just the time to look at these two characters, Jesus. What does Jesus do in this story? It's a long one, but a good one. What is he doing? And then what can we learn from the woman in response to what Jesus is doing? So are you ready to go? Okay, here we go. The first thing that we can tell from Jesus is Jesus is really, you know, it's actually fascinating what he does. He does a lot of stuff that he's not supposed to do. 
in this story. Jesus, let me tell you, if you don't know him, he, uh, he, he, like, he will meet and exceed your expectations, but he will also surprise you. I mean, he does stuff that you just don't count on. If, if you begin to know Jesus and get in relationship with Jesus, if God becomes a part of your life, your life is going to take some really interesting, strange twists because God is going to surprise you. He's going to do things that you don't count on. And one of the big ones that Jesus does, and he shows in this story, is that Jesus is, is not afraid to cross boundaries, to climb over walls, to, to, to cross where he's, to go where he's not supposed to go in order to be close to you and in relationship to you. Let me show you. The first major boundary Jesus crosses in this particular story is very, very early on. I read it, and it's like, it's so small. It's so quick. It's so easy to miss. Jesus is walking along, and Jesus is what he is, say it with me, tired out by his journey. This is huge. This is big. Why? Because Because God has become a man. God has become a human being. God has wrapped himself in flesh. He's a living, breathing person. God has so entered into humanity. God himself is tired. God is tired. God is thirsty. Do you know that? God has a thirst? I mean, that's mind-blowing when you think of it. I mean, when we think of God, God isn't supposed to mix with humanity, right? I mean, God's like up there somewhere, and we're like down here somewhere. And there's like this big barrier. There's this big boundary in between the two of us. This is the way we tend to think. And yet here you have God becoming a man, becoming Jesus, so much so that he is tired and thirsty and he plunks his rear end down on the corner of a well. God has become a human being, become a man, a God-man. And he's crossed this boundary that he's not supposed to cross. Why? In order to be close and in relationship with this woman and with you. Look at another boundary he's not afraid to cross. The male-female boundary. In verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Now, you should know, uh, in in that culture, in that time, it was a patriarchal society. Uh, Patriarchal society was kind of this male-dominated society. Men were the only ones who had a significant... They had very specific roles, men and women. They had very defined roles, right? And so the idea that a man and a woman would sit down in private, mind you, and talk. Oh, even worse yet, it's at a well. Okay, here's something you should know. Whenever you like, this is like the local bar, the well. It's where people go to get a drink. And this is where, you know, you hook up. Seriously, it's true. In the Bible, this is where people go to hook up. You can find it in three different places in the Old Testament where a guy's coming along, he like hangs out at the well, and the woman's at the well. What do you know? They end up getting married. It happens three different times in the Old Testament. And so the idea that Jesus is coming to a well and that there's a woman there and he's talking to her, whoa, Uh -uh. taboo, not supposed to do that. 
You're not a good Jew in, in that time, in that era, is not going to sit down and have a nice conversation with a Samaritan woman at that time. Men and women don't have those sort of casual interactions. Those are reserved for spousal relationships. And so the idea that Jesus is crossing this male-female patriarchal boundary is significant. Significant. But wait, there's more. She's not just a woman. She's a Samaritan. Samaritan. Again, back in that day, it was patriarchal. And so men and women shouldn't mix like that. In the same way, it's even worse when you have Jews and Samaritans. Quick history lesson for you. This is happening in Israel. You can find Israel on a map today. The northern part of Israel, the northern part of Israel was full of Samaritans. The southern part was full of Jews. The reason is, at one time, hundreds of years prior, all of Israel was filled with Jews. A conquering army comes in, takes over the northern part, and starts uh, intermarrying with Jews. They start intermarrying, bringing their foreign gods, their foreign customs, their foreign way of living. And they take a lot of the Jewish people and send them packing. They, they disperse them over their empire. Uh, and then they bring in a lot of their own people so that they can kind of culturally begin to shift this, this northern Israel to become more like the conquering armies culture. And so now we've had hundreds of years of this intermarriage, of this blending of, of, of blood ties, of religion, of, of culture and ethnicity and routines and rhythms. And so the Samaritans and the Jews, man, they don't get along. The Jews looked at themselves as being pure. They were the pure. Samaritans up north, half-bloods. Dirty blood, mixed breeds. That's the way it was treated. You don't associate with them. They're, dirt, they're, 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 the, they're the cousins you want to forget. That's the way it was treated. It got so bad that, 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 that Jews kept saying to the Samaritans, if you really want to stay part of the family, you have to come down to Jerusalem, at least to worship at the temple. The Samaritans up north said, eh, forget you, we'll build our own temple. They built their own temple. Well, guess what? Jews didn't take too kindly to that. So they hop on the horses, take an army, go up north, demolish the temple. So now you even have war between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is walking along. He sits down at a well. And he asks a woman, he asks a Samaritan for a drink. Shattering the cultural boundary, the cultural expectation, the wall that the cultures had built up these people. Jesus crosses, he breaks that wall right down, walks right up to the woman and spends time with her. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Here's more. I call this the feisty boundary um, because she's a feisty woman. <laughs> I, don't, I should have read it differently. I, sometimes I feel like I, when I read, I'm supposed to read a certain way, like the pastor voice, right? But like when I read this text, I think of her as being like this really feisty woman. She's not afraid to challenge Jesus. I mean, you don't ask a man questions like, who are you? 
Why do I need to get you a drink of water? Why don't you get me one? I mean, you don't do that back then, right? And yet here you have this woman who's like, who are you? Like, what's what? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Samaritan and a woman. Why are you talking to me? Leave me alone, you know? She's kind of feisty. She's got a little spunk to her, right? And even more, she even throws one at him. She like throws a jab, right? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and, dr- and drank from it with his sons and his flocks? You know, who are you, man? I mean, seriously, who are you? What, are you kidding me? Are you greater? You have this living water or something? you greater than Jacob? What's the irony? Is he greater than Jacob? He is. He's greater than Jacob. Interesting. But here you have this woman who, who, who now is kind of pushing back against Jesus. Does, is Jesus deterred? Is Jesus distracted enough for you forget you you're going to insult me you're a woman you're, you're you're a samaritan forget this i'll go find another well does he take his stand up and leave no no he continues to even get closer and closer the baggage boundary as we get to know this woman we realize she is a broken person she's got pain and she's got suffering a part of her life and typically when we think of God, we think God can't get involved with the dirty. God's too clean. God's too pure. God's too holy. God's too special. He can't get involved in the dirty parts of our lives. He can't get involved in, in the shame and the guilt and the pain and the brokenness. He's God after all, right? And yet here you have God. In, you have Jesus Christ crossing that boundary and getting close to this woman. Rather than leave, he spends continuous time with her. And we learn about her that she is indeed a broken person. Jesus says, go call your husband. She says, "Uh, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not even your husband. Now, we don't even know. This woman gets a bad reputation right here. You want to know why she's in the wild category? It's because how the church has historically interpreted this text. She gets labeled, I think unfairly, as, as a serial relationship kind of woman, bouncing from relationship to relationship. And certainly that is, that is unhealthy. That is, uh, God frowns on that. And the reason God frowns on that is because it ends in pain. It ends in pain for those involved. Yet we don't know that much about her. I read one commentary, had an interesting thought. What if she's the victim? What about if she's been dumped five times? What about if she's lost her husband or husbands to, to war, to plague? I mean, life expectancy at that time was not very big. So regardless of whether or not she's a perpetrator or a victim, she's got pain in her life. And I'm going to guess that you too have experienced pain in your life. Rather than keeping Jesus distant and away from our pain, rather than letting pain keep Jesus away from us, Jesus still comes close. There's the last big thing I want to share with Je- about Jesus. Jesus reveals himself. You have this woman who's a Samaritan and she's broken. Last person in the world you think Jesus would talk to? Not only does Jesus talk to her, she says, you, you know, we've heard of this Messiah. Are, you know, he's coming, isn't he? 
Jesus claims his title to this broken, destitute woman who's searching in life, who doesn't have all the answers, who's broken. That's who Jesus reveals himself to. Broken people. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And to give you just a flavor of how radical this statement is, the first two words there, I am, this is the first time Jesus claims in a unique way, I am. If you're a Christian and you've read some of the Old Testament, you might know that God's name, the way God describes himself, is the great I am. So when Jesus starts saying, I am, he is claiming not only that he is a person, but he's much more than that. He is also God. So let me get this straight. God became human, this God-man, and he talks to a woman who's a Samaritan, who's got this feisty, mean, kind of challenging attitude, and she's got baggage, and that is who God chooses to reveal himself to. Yep. Yep. To that broken woman. That's who Jesus comes close to. Here's how I'd summarize it. Jesus Christ, God, he will cross, he will, go, he will break down any barrier, any boundary that you put in his way. You want to keep him at arm's length? I just need to tell you this morning, Jesus will cross any boundary to get close to you, to be in relationship to you, to be near you and a part of your life. He desires that. He is invading your life. And he wants to be in the middle of the muck and the mess and the mire. And if you have brokenness as a part of your life and you're like, man, I've got too much guilt. I got too much shame. I'm just too messed up. There's no way God can be a part of this. God doesn't want anything to do with this. God says, yes, I do. And he proves it by coming to this woman. Yes, I do. I desire to be close to her and I desire to be close to you. This is how the woman responds quickly. Some lessons from the woman. Getting to know God takes time. Getting to know God takes time. If you're a new Christian, if you're new to this whole Christian thing, um, you, you, will, you will find this to be very true. If you've been a Christian for a long time, relationships take time. The feelings and the excitement, it can ebb and flow. It's got a natural rhythm to it. God won't always feel like he's there. You're not going to know everything that there is to know about life now that you're a Christian. You're not gonna, life's not going to be perfect. You're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to sneeze butterflies, okay? It's a process. Getting to know God. Letting him become a part of your life. The woman displays this. She starts off by saying, who are you, stranger? It's kind of like, stranger danger. Who are you? But then all of a sudden she starts calling him sir. And then she sees that he's a prophet. And she ends up walking away saying, could he be the Messiah? Is he the chosen one? Is he the Messiah? Getting to know God takes time. It's a progression. It's an evolution. So I encourage you to do that. Get involved in small groups. Start praying as a part of your life. Start reading your Bible. If you have one, if you need one, take one. Because getting to know God takes time. Getting to know God takes time, but inviting others and sharing what God has done in your life, you can do that right away. 
right away. It's fascinating. This woman, she runs off and she goes back to the village and she says, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? She goes off to, the, she goes off to her village, her social network, and she starts sharing with others about this Jesus that she just met and what he's done already in her life. And she's inviting them, come and see, you've got to check this guy out. It's something else. And she doesn't even have all the answers. She doesn't even know if he's for sure the Messiah. You know, sometimes we feel like as Christians we need to have like a Christian diploma or Christian degree before you have to start telling people about Jesus or talking to people. Well, what about if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What, what happens if they ask me, you know, a really tough one? Well, according to this, that's okay. You don't have to have the right answers. You don't have to know it all. I'll give you a hint. I spent a lot of time. I spent eight years studying this stuff in seminary and school where they just pounded into you. I still don't have all the answers. How God became a man and stuff. That's, I don't get the anatomy of that. But that's okay. I can still tell others about Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. You see, what the woman does is she lets us know that when we talk to people, when we share with people about our lives and our faith, it's okay that you don't have all the answers. She gives us permission. It's okay not to have all the answers. Why do bad things happen to good people? I could give you some big gobbledygook theological answer for that. But ultimately, when it boils down to it, I, I just as quick would probably say, I'm not sure. I don't really get it. I don't have all the answers. I mean, I could try to extrapolate for you and, and, and quote verses at you, but, you know, boil it down. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't really know. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ has been a part of my life. I've grown up to know him. And it's made the world of difference. He's been there with me through some really tough stuff, and, and he's, he's brought me through there. And I, and I get to see him on Sundays and experience him. And, and, and when I sit and I pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ, something happens. I mean, Jesus is like tangibly present. It's amazing. And, and I get to experience him in, in communion every week, and it's just this supernatural experience. I just, you got to come see this. you got to come and see. you got to come and check this out. you got to let this be a part of your life. I don't have the answers. I don't know it all. But this I do know. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is the Messiah. It's made all the world of difference in my life. You want to see? You want to check it out? You want to come be a part of it? This woman, in her response to Jesus, gives us the permission the responsibility, and the ability to simply share with others. We don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. But this I do know. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Do you want to see? There's far more that we could say about this. There's far more. Well, we could spend hours. I wish, I mean... My time, it's already blinking red at me, so I've already burned through all the time. I'm sorry. So that means you've got to go home, and you've got to pull out your CC Weekly with more questions, and you're going to sit down, and you're going to read from the book of John, and you're going to turn to the chapter number, John chapter 4, and you're going to reread this story and look for yourself, boundaries that you might put up that Jesus is crossing, 
How are you sharing your faith story? There's so much more to explore. So please, please do that. For now, our time is done. So how about I wrap up in prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly, holy God, we thank you.